Good morning. Uh, we are uh, finishing off our series in Ephesians this morning. And uh, so I wonder if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll be looking at verses 10 to the end to 24. And I'm using the ESV uh, version. So let me read uh, those verses. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, uh, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Uh, Dave is a new Christian. He loves coming to church. He loves his midweek small group. Uh, he feels like uh, he's learning lots and he's begun to share his faith with his colleagues at work. But Dave struggles with looking at the wrong things on the internet. On one level, he knows it's wrong and he often feels guilty, but deep down, he feels the pull of what's out there. Jane has been a Christian for as long as she can remember, and she's involved in many things in her local church. On the outside, she seems happy and is always finding ways to help other people in loads of different ways. But Jane has a massive struggle with comparing herself to others people who seem happier than she is, people who seem to have more, people who are better looking, people who have families. The endless comparing, though she knows she shouldn't do it, well, it feels like a mighty battle for Jane. Bob is part of a local church, uh, but often finds it hard to keep a positive approach to church life. Often in church meetings, he uh, approaches issues with great emotion, he can be divisive, argumentative, 
and hostile to other people's views. It seems like he needs to be in control of things. And if they're honest, his family members would say that they're not surprised by how he acts at church because that's how he acts at home too. We're thinking this morning about Christ and our problems. As a Christian, how do you respond to problems in your life? Problems in relationships, problems with some habit which might be destructive or harmful. Maybe trapped in an endless cycle of comparing yourself to other people and feeling very rubbish next to them. Christ and your problems. Now, almost all of Paul's letters deal with some kind of problem, and Paul's often very explicit about that, what that problem is, and he, he writes to deal with that. But not the letter to the Ephesians. Seems like there was no problem in the church in Ephesus. So were these Christians perfect? Did they have no problems? Well, in fact, Paul was very sure that every Christian has their difficulties. Take a look at verse 12 in our passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Which word does Paul use here? Look at verse 12, wrestle. We wrestle. I guess there are some people who don't uh, have many problems or don't seem to have many problems. Life is always beautiful for them. And Paul doesn't really have anything to say to those kinds of people in this passage. But for the rest of us, well, let's see what he has to say. How do we respond to our problems, whatever they may be? We wrestle, says Paul. Paul chooses a picture word here, this word wrestle, not of a struggle at a distance, but a struggle which is very close to us, impacting our life very tangibly in a very physical way. We can feel it. When, you, when you're wrestling, you, you know you're wrestling. Sometimes it can feel as if your problems are always with you. Wherever you go, they're there. You can't get away from them. Now, at this point, someone might say, well, hold on a minute. Um, Paul here, he's, he's talking about spiritual problems. You know, he's talking about things like persecution, doubt, uh, false teaching. He's not dealing with the more kind of mundane and ordinary sorts of problems that we have. Well, let's have a bit of a think about that. Um, is Paul limiting himself to certain kinds of struggle, certain kinds of wrestling? Is he only interested in what we might think of as spiritual? Well, I want to, you to note four things here. First of all, Paul doesn't limit the kind of, of problems or struggles that he's talking about here. He doesn't narrow it down at all. It's quite general. Secondly, look at the context of what Paul is saying. What has Paul been talking about right before this passage? Uh, we were looking at it last week with Tom. He's talking about family relationships. He's talking about work relationships. That's the context of this passage where Paul turns to talk about struggle. Thirdly, have a look at verse 11 and how Paul describes the struggle there. He talks about the devil's schemes, or some translations have it, the, the craftiness of the devil. Perhaps the devil uses ordinary things to get us down, to trouble us. And the fourth reason why I think Paul is, is, has a wide frame, a wide take on this issue of struggles or problems is there in verse 12. See how he describes the source of our troubles, the devil and his myriad forces. 
capable of working on multiple fronts. He, he talks about the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, and the spiritual forces of evil. So I think these four points suggest that Paul is using, uh, is wanting to talk to us about different kinds of problems. One survey found that only about 10% of pastoral counselling deals with what we might call spiritual problems. More often than not, people come to counsellors, including in church, with issues such as marriage problems, depression, interpersonal conflicts, financial problems, problems at work. Maybe that's why what we think of as, we could term it spiritual warfare, rarely feels like spiritual warfare. More often than not, it just feels like normal life with all its difficulties and troubles. But Paul is very clear in this passage that behind our problems and our struggles is the devil. If nothing else, he seeks to enlarge the problems for us, to amplify them, to trouble us with them more and more so that we keep our eyes off God. That's always Satan's goal. The English poet W.H. Auden uh, penned these lines in one of his poems. Evil is unspectacular and always human and shares our bed and eats at our own table. It's near to us and so we wrestle with it. So then what must we do in wrestling with our problems? Paul has three things in this passage to help us when we're facing difficult times, when we're facing all kinds of problems. And the first one is stand, stand, verses 10 to 14. Paul says four times in these verses that we're to stand. In verse 11, two times in verse 13, and again in verse 14, stand. Now, what does that mean? Well, of course, you can only stand if you've got something to stand on. Actually, everyone is standing on something. Everyone lives their lives for something. Everybody gets out of bed in the morning for something. Everybody has an answer to the question, well, why should I go on living? What's the point of life? Everyone is everybody is standing on something. You've got your truth and I've got my truth, people say. But not all places are equally secure. For some people... Their standing place is a bit precarious. Some people are standing on a precarious place. Perhaps they've never stopped to think, well, what am I standing on? What am I living for? Now, Paul has written this letter to the Ephesian Christians to remind them that they have the best place to stand in the universe. That's why Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians that they would know where they are standing. Just flick back to chapter 3, verse 18 of Ephesians. What did Paul pray for them there? He, he prayed that they would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. Paul wants the Ephesians Paul prays to the, for the Ephesians to know the place where they are standing. So the first thing I must do as I face problems in my life is to remind myself of just where I'm standing. I'm standing on the love of Christ. Christ who stood in my place. 
Now, it goes without saying that the devil does not want us to stand there. The devil would try to make that, that place where we're standing seem very uncomfortable, seem very unattractive, feel unstable, feel like it's strange to be standing there. The devil might put into our minds, well, if, if only you stood somewhere else, you might not have so many problems in life. They might go away. Isn't that why many people don't become Christians? Often I think it's not because people have read the Bible and thought it all through carefully. It's just that they don't like the idea of standing in the place where Christ calls them to stand. They hate the idea of having their freedom limited by that standing space. The American psychiatrist Scott Peck um, was counselling a woman named Charlene uh, and got to talking about Christianity. And Charlene said this to Scott Peck about Christianity. She said, there's no room for me in that. That will be my death. I don't want to live for God. I want to live for my own sake. Paul reminds us to stand. And as Christians, we've got solid ground to stand on. In fact, unlike our secular friends, nothing can take our standing space away from us. You see, no matter how serious our problems are, the place is secure. That's why Paul could say back in Ephesians 2, 6, that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's as if we've already died and gone to heaven. A secure place to stand. In contrast, for secular people or those who are not Christian, well, their standing space may look secure, but it can be taken away by their problems. See, if you, if, you live for your, if you live for your wealth, what happens if you lose your wealth? If you live for your family, what happens if a family member dies? If you live for your looks, they won't last. If you live for your work, what happens when you retire or when you lose your job? If someone lives for anything in this life, well, death will ultimately take it away. Not so for the Christian. Actually, our problems can get us to where we're going with God. So first of all, we're to stand. But how do we stand? That takes us to our second point about dealing with life's problems. Take. Well, second point is take, verses 14 to 17. I wonder if you noticed as we were reading the passage how many active verbs there are here. Just have a look at them. Verse 11, Paul says, put on. Verse 13, take up. Verse 14, fasten, put on. Verse 15, put on. Verse 16, take up. Verse 17, take. Clearly, there's work for us to do here. To stand means using the resources provided to us. But what resources? Well, first thing to know is that they're not our resources. How easily we imagine that we can solve our problems just with our own unaided wisdom or ideas. No, not our ideas. Those will fail, fail us. But God's resources, God gives us his own armour. We're to take these things. We're to take God's armour. What is striking here is if we think about where did Paul get these ideas from? Where did this language come from? Let me read Isaiah chapter 59. 
starting at verse 15. Isaiah 59 in the Old Testament. Chapter 59, verse 15. Second part of verse 15. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. It's God's armour. What God originally in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah did himself, he is now equipping his people to do. The same is true of the Messiah. If we go back a little bit earlier in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 5, Isaiah 11, verse 5, we read this of the Messiah, God's servant. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. It seems like God now equips his people, God now equips us with the armour that the Messiah wore in Isaiah. That's quite a heritage, isn't it? Somehow we've got these divine tools to equip us for life. Looks like we better not ignore this provision of God's. So Paul says, take, put on, Fasten. But what does that actually mean? How do we do that? What will that look like in practice? In the context of Ephesians, of the whole book, it must connect in some way to what Paul has been writing about before up until now and what he's been praying for the Ephesians. What has Paul been saying? What has Paul been writing about? Well, Paul has been reminding the Ephesians about the gospel. Have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. Here's a summary, if you like, or one of the summaries in the book of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul's reminding uh, and what is Paul praying for them? Well, as we looked at before, Ephesians 3.19, over the page. Ephesians 3.19, this is what Paul is praying for them. He wants them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul reminds them and Paul prays for them. Put those th two things together. You can, you can know the gospel, you can have a head knowledge about it, but that may not re have reached the heart. And so Paul prays that the, the information would go from the Ephesians' head into their hearts. So it can impact the whole of life. So the gospel can impact our problems, our struggles. So this is what Dave and Jan and Bob need to do. They need to know God's love. They need to know the gospel. And they need to begin to let it impact their lives, impact their struggles. You see, just as armour touches the skin and hugs us tight, it's something that we can grasp physically and tangibly and it protects our heart. So too, this gospel, the gospel armour comes to us and surrounds us. And the gospel is to touch and protect our hearts as well.
take. Now, there are six pieces of armour, and we could certainly take each one of those six pieces and, and unpack it and have a think about it. But another approach is to take the whole six pieces together. And I think we can do that because two times Paul says to take the whole armour of God in verse 11 and also verse 13. We can see the armour as one thing with six shades or six tones. Six pictures of the same thing from six different angles. And that thing is the gospel, the rich and multifaceted gospel, which again Paul has reminded them of and which Paul is praying that they would deeply know the gospel. Here's how Tim Keller expresses or summarises the gospel. The gospel first says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared to believe. But then quickly follows with, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. That's the gospel. That's the gospel we're to bring to bear on our problems. Now, what does this look like in practice? Let's go back to Dave, Jan, um, Jane and Bob. Dave imagines that he gets more pleasure from what he looks at online than he does from his faith. Dave needs to see that God isn't just good, but God is better. Better than anything he can view on the, the internet. Dave needs to know and actually experience God as the source of true joy in his life. He needs to allow the beauty of God's love revealed to him in the gospel to expel lesser loves, to see that in the gospel he actually finds what his heart is yearning for. What about Jane, a captive to comparison? Jane needs to remind herself daily that in Christ, she has the greatest jewel in the world. In Christ, Christ who loves her with a love that even death cannot take away. She may not have these other things that she sees in other people, but she does hold in her hand the jewel of great price, the gospel, in which are found all the aspirations and hopes of the whole world. And then there's Bob with his need for control at church, in his family, always wanting his own way. Why is Bob this way? Could it be that deep down he's insecure in his relationship with God? That he's unsure in the depth of his heart what God really thinks of him. And so he, he needs to prove himself to God through what he does. Bob needs to see that Christ has won for him a wondrous salvation. If Bob really understood this, he would learn that there's, he has nothing left to prove. That he could learn to rest in the peace of the gospel. He's no longer defined by performance that has ceased to be the bottom line in his life. Paul tells us here that the armour of God shows us six things. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and word. Six shades of the gospel. You can take any one piece of the gospel and it will touch all the others. Pull on one piece of armour and it will tug on the other five. When Dave takes up the armour, when he applies the gospel to his problem, 
he finds it to be more true than the images which he sees on the internet, but which are actually lies. And this in turn leads to, leads to a growing righteousness in his life. When Jane does the same, it's the peace that the gospel brings to her as she reminds herself of the greatness of her salvation. If Bob will learn to apply the gospel to his heart, his thinking might go something like this. I'm accepted by God. I'm saved. I have peace. So what's going on in my heart that makes me respond like this? Is it that I want control? But if Christ loves me and has accepted me, I've got nothing left to prove. I don't need to act like this anymore. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English preacher of the last century, said this, Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And what he meant was talking to ourselves about the gospel, telling ourselves the gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves. I am more sinful than I ever dared believe, but I am more loved than I ever dared hope. The pure light of the gospel hits the prism of your problems and explodes into an array of practical implications to think through as you face the struggles of daily living. How do we respond to problems? First of all, we stand. Secondly, we take. But thirdly, note that this is not just a kind of mechanical process. Remember, the armour is given to us by God. It's his personal gift. The armour bears his signature and the, and the mark of the Messiah. And so thirdly, in wrestling with our problems, we are to pray, verses 18 to 20. What is prayer? Well, it's nothing if it's not an expression of our personal relationship with God. Paul tells us in verse 18 to pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. At least part of that in the context of what Paul is saying here must, must be recognising that God himself is with us. God is alongside us in the fight, in the struggle as we wrestle God, if you like, steps into the ring of our problems to help us, to fight alongside with us. After all, it's his armour and we are his people. He himself still puts on his own armour to come among his people, to be with them, restraining our opponents, whether despair, loneliness, temptation or sin. To conclude, I stand by taking up God's armour for the fight while wrestling through prayer. But someone might say, well, is it worth it? My problems seem insurmountable. You don't know how big my problems are. They don't seem to be going away. Maybe the writer David Thoreau was right when he said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and I'm just another one of them. The end of the book of Ephesians isn't just a conclusion, it's a destination. It's a place where Paul wants to take the Ephesian Christians 
and us. Have a look at verses 23 and 24, Paul's closing of the book. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Not just a conclusion, but a destination. As we press on through problems and struggles, what can we experience? Well, Paul tells us here, peace, love, grace. Aren't those the things that deep down everyone is actually searching for? Peace that will never end, love which is unconditional and will never fail, grace which brings release from guilt and failure. Isn't all of art, literature, culture, film, story about these things? Aren't these the very things that everyone searches for, but often in the wrong places? And here they are at the end of the, our journey through this book. Where are you heading in life? Is it the direction Paul wanted to take the Ephesian Christians towards knowing more of peace, love, grace? Or are you on another trajectory altogether? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. Thank you for the reminder of the gospel. Thank you for Paul's prayers that the Ephesian Christians would know the gospel so well that they would be able to apply it deep into their hearts, into their lives, into their thinking, and to their problems. Thank you for the trajectory of the letter and for where Paul wanted to take them, to grace, to peace, to love. Would you help each one of us to be on that pathway in the face of all our struggles, whatever they may be, May we be working towards those things with your help. Thank you that you fight alongside us. Thank you for the, that you equip us and that you give us a place to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.